Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Dr. David DeRose with you today looking at a subject that brings us really to the root of cultural sensitivity. Yes, it's not only true in Indian country, but we're looking today at the wisdom of indigenous peoples, not just in North America, but worldwide. And someone to help us on that journey is, well, all I can tell you, impeccably qualified to do it. It's Dr. John Duyard. John, you're a chiropractor, but you're more than that. You're the author of a new book, Eat Wheat. It is so great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I know the minute I mentioned that book, Eat Wheat, I was going to start getting some eyebrows raising in Indian country because people are saying, well, you know, corn, sure, wild rice, but Native Americans uh, weren't habitually eating lots of wheat. Your message is broader, though, than just about wheat. Tell us first about your background before we launch into this important discussion about gluten and concerns about it. Well, you know, I've always been fascinated with traditional cultures and traditional systems of medicine. And what I write about on my website these days is proving ancient wisdom with modern science and and understanding that we are creatures of circadian rhythms, that there are cycles and there are seasons and food is harvested in, in, in different seasons. And there's microbes in the soil that change from one season to the next. And understanding how to live in harmony and in sync with those cycles is what it's all about. And we have a problem with processed foods and the foods we're eating today, which are out of season, and they're highly processed, and they've broken down our digestive system. So wheat is just an example of a hard-to-digest food that many of us can't digest, and we need to stop taking the foods out of our diet and fix the real problem. I think your message is so exciting. I mean, why I resonate with it is because I've actually had a similar interest over the years. In fact, I have a series that I call Ancient Secrets, Modern Health. It's a DVD. I've given the lecture in in many settings. And uh, as I deal with people, whether they're Native Americans, I've done work in, in rural Africa. I've been to Asia, Europe. I mean, it's wherever you go, indigenous health practices. There's all kinds of wisdom out there. And uh, for many years, we were telling indigenous peoples, and I say we, I'm speaking the medical community, not necessarily you or I specifically, John, but we were telling them, we know better. Just listen to us. We've got all these uh, you know, fancy high-tech drugs, and we'll fix you up. But uh, we're realizing that approach really is not all it's cracked up to be, is it? No, not at all. And, you know, it's so fascinating. I think respecting the traditional culture, we just, when modern medicine became in fashion, we just threw all that out the window. There was a really interesting study that they took deer who eat bark in the winter, and they have microbes in their digestive system in the winter for digesting bark, and they have different microbes in the summertime for digesting leaves. And the study showed that if the deer were to eat bark in the summertime when they wouldn't have the right microbes, it could cause such a level of indigestion it could kill the deer. Hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. Deer die when they eat out of season? What about us? We don't have any connection to those circadian rhythms, to the microbes that change from one from one season to the next at all. And it's so important that we bring that back. And, and uh, I actually publish a free grocery list, superfood list, and recipes list for every month of the year to make it super easy for folks to get that information in their inbox. They know exactly what's in season for every month of the year. 
You know, what's so amazing about this, we, we talk about some of this and it just sounds really crazy, far-fetched, I mean, as far as human physiology, but, you know, your analogy is powerful with the deer and uh, my wife for many years has been a horse lover. We've had a number of horses over the years and uh, it's well known, you know, among uh, equestrians that if you give the horse the wrong food or too much of that, that new grass or that new grain, uh, they can get colic and it can be a fatal uh, malady that occurs just from eating the wrong foods at the wrong time. So this is not really a stretch, at least in the animal kingdom, but I think a lot of us have trouble connecting the dots when it comes to human physiology. Is that true? Well, it's, you know, the, a big article in Scientific America said that circadian medicine, which is basically what traditional folks have done for thousands of years, live in sync with the natural cycles, eat in season, go to bed at the right time when the sun goes down, get up with the sun, all those simple things. They said it's going to be the future of medicine as we know it. It will revolutionize medicine. That's how disconnected we are today. Science shows that we have lost our, our, our genetic clocks inside of our body, have lost their rhythms, their connection to the rhythms of nature in the earth. And the thing that brings it back are the foods, which have bugs on them, microbes on them, who live in the soil originally, who are in sync with those rhythms. And that's how we reconnect, is getting back to these traditional, simple practices of eating foods in season and you know, living in sync with the cycles. I mean, it's an amazing topic, and of course, Native Americans were uh, a group of people that historically lived that way. I mean, they're not unique as far as other indigenous peoples throughout the world, but as Native Americans try to recapture those traditional foods, what I hear you saying, this is not just cultural awareness, this is just not honoring your, your elders, but this is actually doing something that's going to actually revolutionize your own health. Am I speaking too strongly? No, I think when they when when not that the scientists really know exactly what they're talking about because they sort of screwed us up along the way here a bit, but when they say that the future of medicine is circadian medicine, which is best us getting reconnected to these very simple you know simple subtle yet even invisible cycles of nature that the Native American culture is completely understood. And that is the future of medicine. We're going back to the future, which is so critically important because we're getting so far out of whack these days with technology that, you know, there may be a point of no return. We don't change things. Well, let's go to one of the big questions uh, on our, our docket, if you will, and that is this question of wheat. You've got the new book out, Eat Wheat. And I'll just tell you from my background, and you could probably share the same as as a practitioner as well as someone who gives health lectures. I'm in the same boat. I've got people asking me. I think they, I, they ask me point blank. They say, Dr. DeRose, what is the matter with gluten? Because everything's saying gluten-free, no gluten. Is there something the matter with gluten, Dr. Duyard? Well, interesting, right? Two in the, recently, two major observational Harvard studies came out, one showing over 200,000 people, over, over 194,000 people for 25 years, they found that the people who actually ate the least amount of gluten had the highest amounts of diabetes. The least amount of gluten, the highest amount of diabetes. Another 25-year Harvard study showed that uh, over 110,000 people, people who had the, had the least amount of gluten in their diet over those years, had the highest risk of heart disease. Specifically, when they ate refined, when they ate refined uh, wheat, then or when they were actually eating whole wheat versus refined wheat, there was this huge difference between eating more gluten, whole wheat, in its natural whole state versus the refined state. So the bottom line is is that that 
yes, people eat wheat, they feel bad. I get that. I understand that. I treat that every day in my practice. And why I wrote Eat Wheat was because people taking the wheat out of the diet didn't really solve anybody's problem. A month or two or three, the problems came back. Then they had to take something else out of the diet. And instead of fixing the digestive weakness and why it got broken down in the first place, we keep kicking the ball down the road, taking one food after another out of the diet. Well, one of the things I've pointed out to patients who tell me I'm feeling better without wheat is I say, look at the stuff you're not eating anymore. You know, you've gotten rid of, just like you're saying, you know, all these dessert foods, you've gotten rid of the white bread. I mean, you've gotten rid of a lot of uh, empty calories or worse. So, sure, you might be feeling better, but it's not because uh, you were gluten intolerant. Now, there are people, of course, that do have celiac disease and things like that. How do you approach that in your practice as a chiropractor in sorting out whether someone actually has a true gluten intolerance or even frank celiac disease or whether they should be encouraged to eat more of these whole grains? Well, for sure, the people who have celiac, which is 1% of the population, need to avoid wheat. There's no question about that. But a recent study showed that one-third of the American population, which is 110 million people, are actually choosing to be gluten-free because of perceived health benefits. But the science doesn't show that there really are any perceived health benefits when you actually look at whole versus refined grains. One study showed that that the that people actually had the most gluten or most wheat in their diet had a reduction of Alzheimer's disease by 53% in the Mediterranean diet, 54% in the MIND diet, which is three servings of whole grains and whole wheat per day. Uh, another study showed that the, the reduction of diabetes, 15% in one study, 21% in another study. Again, when you look at whole grains versus refined grains, there are no studies showing that these cause the things that the best-selling books, Wheat Belly and Grain Brain, are telling us to be a, to actually be concerned about wheat. It's refined processed wheat, and generally, refined processed foods in general are going to be problematic because they're going to act like sugar in your blood, cause you to gain weight, cause brain fog, cognitive you know, issues down the road. But when you look at whole foods, which we need to demand, then those problems aren't there in the science. So basically, if we were to put this in the context of Indian country and speak about traditional foods here in North America, we're talking, let's say, about corn. You're making a, what I would say is an eloquent appeal to you know, eat that whole corn, eat the kind of corn as it came, you know, as it grew, for, and you're what your elders did with it. You know, they, they would make it into cornmeal. They, they might eat the whole corn, whatever, but they weren't sending it to a factory where the, the bran is being pulled off or, or you're squeezing it out and making corn oil or you're processing it and ending up with high fructose corn syrup. So these would all be uh, examples of refining the corn, right? Exactly. And what they did in 1960, when they took cholesterol out of our diet, because they thought cholesterol caused heart disease, and now we find out that cholesterol doesn't really have anything to do with heart disease, they replaced the cholesterol, which is basically saturated fats of butter and, and coconut oil and things like that. They replaced it with uh, omega-6 fatty acids, polyunsaturated vegetable oil fats. But those vegetable oils, like sunflower seed oil, corn oil, when you take it out, they're very, very volatile, and they can go bad very easily when you take the oil out. So what they did is they had to bleach and deodorize and boil these oils to such an extent that it would never go bad, ever. So they stick it in a loaf of bread, and the loaf of bread will stay squishy on the shelf for a month or two or more. Normal bread, traditional old-fashioned bread, would get hard in a day. And now we have bread that stays squishy for months. That's because the microbes won't touch that oil that they use to extend the shelf life of those products. So think about it. 
foods that are processed are there because the shelf life is extended. Not our life, but the shelf life. So when we're take eating foods that the microbes, which make up 90% of the cells in our body, won't eat, why in the world should we expect when we put it in our body that we're going to be able to digest those highly processed foods? So now you mentioned something about microbes. Now you're not saying that 90% of our biomass is microbes. You're saying that 90% of our cells are being uh, are in contact with these microbes. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, 90% of the cells in the human body are microbial. Only 10% of the cells in the human body are, are human cells. The only difference is that the microbe cells are tiny, tiny, tiny compared to the human cells. Otherwise, we'd look a lot more like a bug. In other words, there's, there's that many more times of the microbes, bacteria cells in our body that make us up than human cells, actually. So you're referring especially to the gut bacteria and how many cells are there as compared to cells of our heart and cells in our muscles. Right. So there's so many of them that they make up 90% of you. took all the cells in the human body, 90% of them are microbial. And, and they are very, very, they, and they are pretty much, according to the science, doing the heavy lifting for most of the physiological functions, right? They control blood sugar, they control our thoughts, they control our mood, our behavior. There's the thing called the gut-brain access. So if you put stuff in your belly that the bugs that make up, to do the heavy lifting for all of our function, can't digest and become problematic, that's going to affect every function of your body over time. We are talking about some amazing stuff. We're on the theme really right now, if you're uh, wanting to attach a name to it, talking about the microbiome, these bacteria that live in our gut. And, and Dr. Duyard is helping us appreciate better some of the really misinformation that's out there. He's going to make it even more plain for us and give us a lot of practical examples, share with us some stories from his own patients as we continue our dialogue. But before we slip away from a break. Dr. Duyard, I know a lot of folks have been interested in what you've been sharing. In addition to the book, you've got some great resources on your website. Tell us how we can tap into your wisdom other than listening to the show. Sure. Yeah, I publish three newsletters, video newsletters a week at lifespa.com, L-I-F-E-S-P-A, where we prove ancient wisdom with modern science. And that's what I think we, we need to do is get back to our roots. So if I go to lifespa.com, I can actually tap into to free video newsletters. Am I understanding that correctly? There's about a 1,000 videos and uh, articles online archived. You can get those free grocery lists. We'll talk about that and how they can get more information. I get the recipes every month in their inbox and know exactly how to get reconnected with the seasonal foods. Tremendous, tremendous. We're going to be back with a lot more from Dr. Duyard. I'm Dr. David DeRose, stepping away for just a couple minutes. Don't go away. We've got a lot more great information coming up right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical. 
medical unit. Respond to 102 Maple Avenue. Possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. John Duyard. Dr. Duyard is a doctor of chiropractic medicine. He is also the author of the new book, Eat Wheat. He is the uh, host for LifeSpa.com, providing information, looking at ancient wisdom and how it connects with modern people like you and me. John... I'll tell you, a lot of people are probably listening to the show. They're saying, hey, I've gotten benefits from leaving weed off. There's themes like thousands, millions of people that are on the avoid gluten train. How can it be wrong? How can this industry be growing so rapidly, it seems, if it's not true that we should be getting rid of the gluten, even the whole wheat, the whole rye, the whole barley? What do you have to say? Well, the gluten-free industry today is a $16 billion a year industry, and, you know, you know, clearly that's making that, that amount of money is affecting the choices that healthy people are making in the grocery stores. There's no doubt about that. And here's the problem. The, the, what the $16 billion gluten-free industry is giving us in replacement of whole wheat is highly refined, highly processed bread alternatives or wheat alternatives that have a high glycemic index that actually do act like sugar, that actually do increase the risk of diabetes and Alzheimer's and obesity and these kinds of issues. But a whole wheat has the exact opposite effect. So we, but I get it. Whole wheat is a, is a hard-to-digest food. It's an example of a hard-to-digest food. Corn is a hard-to-digest food as well for a lot of people. So we have to figure out why and what happened to our digestive strength that we're having more and more difficulty digesting hard-to-digest stuff. So unless it's highly processed and refined, we can't digest it. That's a problem, and we can fix that. Boy, this is such a great line of uh, discussion. I, I honestly did not know we'd be going down this uh, this path. And I'm going to float something out there. You can tell me whether you think I'm totally off base. But, you know, you mentioned these digestive problems and it causing people to avoid the healthier foods like 
the traditional foods that Native Americans ate, including things. We, we didn't put beans on the list, but many people would add that to the list of difficult-to-digest foods right up there with the you know whole grains like the whole corn that Native uh, peoples ate on this continent for centuries. But, John, here's where I'm going. Just like you, I see a lot of patients come into my office, first-time visit, and uh, they're taking these powerful acid blocking medications. Uh, we call them in medical circles proton pump inhibitors and, and antihistaminic drugs. Uh, you know, they go by names like Prilosec and Nexium. And, you know, I don't want to single out brands, Zantac, Tagamet, uh, those H2, so-called H2 blockers. But people taking all these drugs to suppress acidity, I felt for a long time that this is a big part of why we've got problems in the digestive realm. Is that just my perspective, or do you have some similar concerns? No, and I can tell you, at least from my perspective and my experience, and, and there's also a lot of good science to back up what I'm going to tell you, is the reason why people need those. The number one elective abdominal surgery in America today is gallbladder surgery. People are getting their gallbladders removed in massive numbers. When we talked about the vegetable oils that are used as preservatives in all these processed foods, they're relatively not digestible. They congest the liver and the gallbladder. When the liver and the gallbladder get congested, the bile becomes thick. It's a medical term called bile sludge. Bile, not only does it emulsify and break down the fats that you eat, but it also buffers and neutralizes the acid. So when we think about it, you eat, you eat some, some corn or some rice and beans or something like that, you need a lot of bile to neutralize all the acid that you needed to break down the wheat and the corn, and you also need that bile to, 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 to emulsify the fats. If the liver is congested and the bile has become too thick, your stomach is going to say, hey, I need four ounces of bile. I just ate a ham sandwich. I need four ounces of bile, and there's no bile coming through. Um, I'm not getting the green light. So the stomach will hold on to all that acid as, as a form of what's called gastroparesis, where the stomach holds on to the food and it lingers with all the acid for a very, very long time. And that begins to irritate and burn the stomach, causing heartburn-related issues, gas, bloating, burping, those kinds of things. And over time, the stomach will just say, hey, man, I, they're not making any bile like they used to in the old days. I'm going to stop producing the fire altogether. Then you start to see the stomach dial down the production of the stomach fire. And now you can't digest anything hard to digest. Wheat, nuts, seeds, corn, beans, all of them have anti-nutrients. They're harder to digest. And now they're going through undigested, causing all types of intestinal irritation and inflammation. And that's a precursor to obesity and a host of immune-related conditions. We can dive into that next. Now, this is, is really fascinating material, and although we might get scientists to quibble about some of the details, and you and I might even compare notes and say, well, you know, I understood the mechanism being a little bit different. The, the big issue, and that we're totally on the same page with, is these whole plant foods. The research is showing us these are health-giving, health-enhancing foods, and I, just like you, John, before we even did the show, I had seen that study out of Harvard talking about the connections with, uh, with diabetes and, uh, you know, the avoidance of gluten. Uh, I think back years ago, I think it was uh, uh, an Iowa study of women where, again, similar connections, more fiber, uh, along with the fiber coming more magnesium, and whether they looked at whole grains, whether they looked at fiber, whether they looked at magnesium content that is rich in these whole plant foods, the more of those things that people ate, the less of the diabetes. So when we speak about some of these great epidemics in Indian country and beyond, we're really making a case not for getting rid of the whole corn and the whole wheat and the whole rye, but rather eating more 
of these whole foods if we want to have the upper hand, aren't we? Absolutely. And the studies go beyond the two that we talked about. You know, eating harder to digest foods, which are foods in their whole natural form, they have anti-nutrients. Like when you take out a seed from the ground, there's protective. There's a protective shell that's a little harder to digest. But that protective shell, when we eat that, triggers an immune response in our gut. And if we just take it out and don't eat those, we don't get that, that immune stimulation that we need. In one study, they found that people who actually, and I'm just going to use wheat mm-hmm. as an example of a product processed food, right? People who were gluten-free had four times as much mercury in their blood as people who ate wheat. In Mm -hmm. another study, people who were gluten-free had more bad microbes, bugs in their gut, and less good bugs than people who ate wheat. And people who were gluten-free in another study had less killer T-cells in their intestinal tract than people who ate wheat, suggesting that these hard-to-digest foods are foods that trigger an immune response. And if we just take everything that's hard out of our diet and never fix the real problem, it's like we did with a, with a microbiome. We killed everything with antibiotics and antimicrobial soaps, and now we have a, a microbiome that is really weak and vulnerable, and that's why people can't, one of the reasons people can't digest as well as they once could. And now we're taking the hard-to-digest foods out that are, are shown to be the immune triggers, and now we have issues with you know, people not being able to not only just eat wheat but beans and nuts and seeds. We're going down a road of weaker and weaker digestion, which delivers weaker immunity, which can be a real problem. You know, it's such a fascinating topic, and a lot of people, myself included, you know, you first hear some of this and you kind of wrestle with it, but it's not really all that much different in the uh, muscular strength realm that all of us are pretty familiar with. We've we've all grown up hearing the, the old saying, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And everyone would say, well, yeah, if you want to get stronger, you don't just lay in bed and do less. You got to actually do a bit more and stress yourself. You're really saying the science is telling us the same is true for our gut, isn't it? Totally. Here's another example. The Amish kids, uh, Amish, the Mennonite farmers, uh, they have the kids have the lowest rates of asthma on the planet. And they run barefoot in the barns and have cows as pets, and they're very traditional and connected to the earth. When they measured the dust that these kids are breathing in the farms, they found that there were irritants in the dust that triggered a respiratory immune response that protected them from asthma. They have the lowest rates of asthma on the planet. So it's, a, it's something called, called the hygiene hypothesis, right. which means that we, we really do need some of these foods that are harder to digest. We've been eating them for thousands of years. Then if we just globally process everything, pre-digested, put these preservatives in that we can't digest, you know, we've actually created some real problems in our digestive strength. You know, what's so interesting to me, too, about this topic, John, is I've got very conscientious patients sometimes that come through my doors, and uh, they'll tell me things like, you know, Dr. DeRose, I can't eat enough vegetables, so I've got this pill now. It's all taken wholly from vegetables, and all the nutrients are condensed in this one pill. And uh, really, even though they're catching the message that we've got to eat more plant foods, they're missing this very important message that indigenous peoples have been telling and trying to tell us from their example for centuries, and that is we've really got to eat the whole foods. We're, even if you process the good things, you're still asking for trouble, aren't we? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the, the, the bottom line here is that growing your own food, going to the local farmer, you know, finding foods that are actually grown locally and bringing them back into your diet, getting the microbes from the soil in season into your gut to change your microbiome from one season to the next. This is something science is just beginning to understand, but it's something traditional people have known for thousands of years. So, John, I know a lot of folks are going to be, you know, just staying with us the whole hour because this is such a fascinating topic. Some may be commuting, though, and they're not going to be able to get the full program right now. But, uh, John, if someone wants to connect with you and they don't even hear the rest of the program, how can they do that? Well, yeah, the book is called Eat Wheat, and that's where I take you through a step-by-step process of rebooting your digestive strength. And on my website at lifespa.com, there's about a thousand articles and videos for free, all self-help, that uh, are all about proving ancient wisdom of natural medical practices with modern science. Tremendous. So that website again, a lot of free material. Life Spa, L-I-F-E Spa, S-P-A dot com, and the book Eat Wheat. And I'm assuming if you go to Life Spa, we're going to find links for the book as well. Yeah, of course, it's on Amazon as well for sure. Tremendous. We're going to step away just briefly. We're going to come back with more from John Duyard talking about things that you can do to make a difference and going through some of the best foods that John has studied that you can eat at different times of the year. You don't want to miss that having an impact on brain health, diabetes, obesity, and more. Don't go away. A lot more coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. DeRose. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So, whether it's around your neighborhood... Or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute, since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Dr. John Duyard. Dr. Duyard, if you've been with us from the top of the hour, you know he's a chiropractor. You know he's the author of Eat Weed, and you also know that he runs a website called LifeSpa.com. But you may not know one of the things that I find most fascinating about John, and I don't know why this uh, fascinates us in the, the medical community and in the lay community, but you were tapped by a professional sports organization to actually counsel their players. Tell us the story behind that. Yeah. Um, back in the uh, 90s, I wrote a book called Body, Mind, and Sport, and it was based on the concept of nose breathing versus mouth breathing. And these techniques I learned uh, from traditional cultures, Native American male runners in Central America, they were nose breathers. They would run 10 to 12 miles, little male runners, jaws from one station to the next station. They would sprint and they would rest and they would sprint. And they would train for this uh, by putting rocks in their mouth or putting water in their mouth. And they would basically run that way and then spit out the rocks or spit out the water. And if you ever try putting a rock in your mouth or water in your mouth and try to breathe through your mouth, you're going to swallow the rock or you're going to swallow the water and choke on it. So one of the techniques that they taught traditionally was to be a nasal breathing, nasal breathing runner. Uh, the Tarahamara are, are great examples of long-distance runners who, who, when they studied them, they found that they were really amazing at, at doing long-distance runs, but having, a very, very, having the same respiratory capacity, the same blood pressure uh, as they, when they finish a marathon as when they started. Hmm. So the nose breathing, I did, a, I did a lot of research on nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. It found that when you breathe through your nose, the brain waves become more calm. Uh, they become more like meditative, like if you're in a prayer state, the brain waves change. And in that, and that happens when you actually breathe through your nose during exercise to a certain extent. Uh, we found that the fight-or-flight nervous system, which is the, 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 the run-away-from-a-bear-up-a-tree-save-your-life nervous system, actually decreases when you breathe through your nose. And the parasympathetic nervous system, one that is, we call it the rest and digest nervous system, the one that repairs and rebuilds you and helps you digest better, increases when you breathe through the nose. So we found that when people breathe through their nose, when they exercise, they actually enjoy exercise better. They actually have less stress when they do it, they, they, and they actually perform a whole lot better. So I ended up working with a lot of professional athletes, Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova did the forward to my book, Body, Mind, and Sport, and I worked with the New Jersey Nets and taught them, believe it or not, how to nose breathe and and when you're shooting a foul shot in front of 25,000 people or 30,000 people, it's a little nerve-wracking. When you breathe through your nose, it actually creates a neurological calm that allows your nervous system to chill and you stop freaking out about everybody watching you, which is a little challenging to do. So I ended up working for the New Jersey Nets for two years designing all the nutrition and, and, and their rehab programs as the director of player development for them. Wow, that's an amazing story. So did you actually find that they could take those foul shots better, or was it hard to correlate well, the, that? The, the, the big problem was that not, that not only were they not a wonderful team, but they were the most injured team in the league. They were the third most injured team in the league when I got to them. And the, the year later, we were the third least injured team in the league. So wow. we did really well in terms of changing their nutrition, changing you know how they breathe, how they worked out. So instead of killing themselves, we kind of tiled it back a little bit and allowed them to recover and repair as opposed to just push, push, push. Boy, great message. And that book is still in print, Body, Mind, and Sport. Still doing really well, yeah. Tremendous. Okay, so basically you're an established author, you're a clinician, 
you've been seeing patients for many years. You've been working with high-end athletes as well as ordinary people. And you've come to some powerful conclusions about preventing disease. Let's talk to someone right now who's listening. And they're saying, hey, all this sounds great, but I've got digestive problems right now. Do you have any kind of a program or suggestions that someone could follow to so-called reboot their digestive system? Well, yeah, and that's exactly why I wrote Eat Wheat, was to give people a troubleshooting guide so they can go through and go, okay, what part of my digestive system has been broken down? Let's say, you know, you can't, when you eat wheat, you feel bloated, or let's say you eat dairy or feel bloated, or let's say you feel, you eat greasy fried food and you have indigestion or heartburn. All these things mean different, specifically different problems in the digestion. For example, and like we said, the, 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 the processed cooked uh, vegetable oils that they've used to preserve our foods are really the, the the biggest problem that we have in our culture that have really destroyed our ability for our liver to function well. And there are a whole group of herbs and foods and plants that are called cologogs that flush your liver and flush your gallbladder. And that's a great thing for every one of us to do because that, if you can't make enough bile to emulsify your fats, you're going to get fat. You're going to store the fat. You don't make enough bile to buffer the acid in your stomach. The stomach will, cause, will, will actually eventually give you heartburn or eventually stop producing the acid altogether. And and if you can't deliver your fats, you're not going to have stable mood, which is depression. And so a lot of things in the digestive system revolve around the function of the liver and the gallbladder. Even your pancreas, which makes digestive enzymes, before that tube goes into your small intestine, it hooks up with the bile duct. So if the bile duct is congested, your pancreatic enzymes are going to be congested. So people are going to take digestive enzymes thinking they're solving their problem. And all you got to really do is clean out the tube. So there are herbs called cologogs we can food so I can talk about that might help in that department. Well, you've definitely got our interest, and I think we've got a bunch of folks tuning in saying, well, what are the cologogs? What are some of these foods I need to be eating to kind of flush out my colon and help things work better? Beets, apples, celery, even making that as a juice in the morning for breakfast, great way to start the day. Start the day cleaning out the liver and the gallbladder is phenomenal. So beets, apples, celery, uh, an, an ancient seed called fenugreek, uh, increases the contraction of their gallbladder by 75%. Turmeric increases the contractibility of their gallbladder, gallbladder by 50%. Artichokes, uh, traditional food, amazing cologogue to clean out your liver and your gallbladder. All your green leafy vegetables, which are so critically important, also great liver movers and bile movers. So those are all some herbs and some foods to start with that are really easy to do. I mean, this is an impressive list, um, and I'm thinking of a lot of associations as I'm going down the list. I jotted down beets, apples, celery, fenugreek, turmeric, artichokes, and the green leafy vegetables. Um, one of the things that jumps uh, in my mind, a couple of things, tie in some of these pieces together, because a lot of these uh, herbs, these plant foods, have multiple effects. I know fenugreek for years has been shown to have blood sugar stabilizing effects, right? Exactly. And then when it comes to turmeric, I've seen literature talking about some of the uh, protective properties of curcumin, one of the active ingredients in that herb, and how it can actually bind up heavy metals in the body and presumably perhaps even decrease the risk of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, diseases that have been linked to uh, perhaps uh, overexposure, at least in part, to some of these heavy metals. I don't know. Do you think uh, we're really talking about reality when we start talking about foods that almost begin to sound like panaceas? 
it is interesting when you read when you read the science behind some of these herbs. It's mind-boggling how many you know how many diverse benefits they have. There's just no question about that. One of the things about diabetes, though, is diabetes is obviously a big epidemic, and type 2 diabetes is the most epidemic, and that problem starts in the liver, not the pancreas. There's a big drug, metformin, that is the number one selling type 2 diabetic drug, and it works specifically on blocking the liver from producing producing sugar. So the, when we talk about diabetes and the result in obesity and the result in oh, Alzheimer's and cognitive decline, that comes from diabetes, it all starts in the liver. And that's what we're talking about is cleaning out that liver with these cholagogs. When you say, yeah, fenugreek's linked to Alzheimer's or to blood sugar issues and, and turmeric to you know brain function and an herb that actually protects the brain chemistry. All these things make sense, but when they actually function from deep within liver function, that's one of the ways they make everything else happen. Well, let's throw something else into the mix. And, and again, the, the pathway to this uh, discussion actually is through turmeric. Uh, recently, I came out with a book called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And in it, we deal with one of the culprits in high blood pressure, which are these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, these pain relievers that you know seem like they're in every candy jar today. Um, the question is, and I'll give you a little bit more of the background so you can see how I'm connecting the dots. We talk about turmeric having these anti-inflammatory properties. You can use things like turmeric and um, foods that are rich in omega-3 fats instead of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. But I, I want you to help us kind of take that maybe one step further. Are these common pain-relieving drugs, are they messing up our digestion too? Well, they are because they actually affect our ability to they, – they're anti-inflammatories and they actually um, block the ability for us to make the acid that we need. Now, when you think about the gallbladder being congested because of all the processed foods – not making the bile, and the stomach eventually says, hey, there's no bile down there. I can't make the acid I need, so I'm not going to make the acid. What happens, and the science shows that the gluten and the hard-to-digest proteins and even the, the toxins in the environment, they go undigested from the stomach into the small intestine, and those gluten molecules and those protein molecules are too big to get into the bloodstream now, and where do they go? They get uptaken into the collecting ducts of your lymphatic system, and your lymphatic system is the major system of the body, and when that gets congested, that lymphatic system is trying to deliver energy to every cell of your body, so you get totally tired and exhausted after a meal. The extra the fats that the body's trying to deliver as energy gets stuffed into the fat around your belly, so you get obese. And recently, they found the brain lymphatics that drain three pounds of chemicals and toxins out of your brain every year while you sleep at night. And if the lymph around your belly is congested with extra belly fat, it's only in short order. The brain lymphs won't drain as well, and that will begin to affect cognitive decline and, and brain fog. And there's even lymph underneath your skin causing skin rashes. And turmeric is one of those lymphatic decongesting herbs, and that's why it works on both the intestinal skin the lymphatic system, and your brain chemistry. It works on all three of those. Now, you're telling me some uh, some very interesting things, some things that, you know, dots that I haven't connected before, John. I really appreciate your insights. Let me see if I've got one of these points correct. What I actually hear you saying is that if someone has a healthy digestion, gluten is good for them, but if their digestion is severely disordered, too much gluten at once may actually not be digestible and as a result, this gluten gets taken up into the lymphatics, these small lymph channels in the intestinal system, and actually clogs them up. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? 
That's exactly right. And there's good science to find that. There's actually enzymes called dipeptidase that actually are found in the lymphatic system to break down gluten in case it gets there. But if you overwhelm it and the intestinal skin and the intestinal lining has become broken down, those lymphs get overwhelmed and you get the lymph around your belly which is in the mesentery, which is all that tissue that connects your intestinal tract together, they just defined that about six months ago as the 79th organ of the body. So now this stuff in between your intestinal tract that holds it all in place, which is mostly lymphatic vessels, is now called its own organ. And it's directly linked to the function of the lymphs that are draining toxins out of your brain while you sleep at night. And if that's not draining, you're not going to have mental clarity. You're not going to feel good. And when they and they discovered those limps in the brain about four years ago, University of Virginia, and they've since linked them to when they're congested to anxiety, depression, brain fog, cognitive decline, inflammation, infection, and autoimmune diseases are all linked to congestion. Those brain limps, which start from intestinal lymph congestion, which starts from broken down digestion, which starts from processed foods. Wow. The list of problems with those foods that uh, we've been, uh, really, many of us, educated to enjoy and go for are really undermining our health. And we're trying to recapture the wisdom of traditional peoples, whether it's here in North America, of Native Americans, or people throughout the world. John is not finished. Dr. Duyard has some amazing final insights in our last segment that will help bring you from where you're at today to where you need to be. Don't miss that final part of today's show coming right up. And if you want more information, remember Dr. Duyard's website. It's easily available simply at lifespa.com. That's L-I-F-E-S-P-A.com. More to come on today's edition of American Indian Living. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, 
Doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose for the final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. With me, an amazing guest. I think you've been enjoying the interview if you've been with us from the top of the hour or even jumped in at any point along the way. John Duyard, he's a doctor of chiropractic medicine. He is the author of the book Eat Wheat, as well as a number of other books, including one we mentioned in the last segment called Body, Mind, and Sport. John, a lot of folks uh, tuning in, you're getting them to think twice about all that gluten that they've taken off their shopping list. If someone is thinking, wow, it was causing me problems, my digestion was bad, can they safely go back to eating some gluten? How do you recommend they approach that topic? Well, the first thing is to make sure that you're getting bread that is clean, that doesn't have the processed foods in it. So all you really need to make bread is organic, whole wheat, salt, and water. That's it. Um, so maybe an, or, an organic starter. And bread like that, if you have organic sourdough bread, for example, it can take three days to bake. And one study that showed that when people actually make sourdough bread, it actually gobbles up the gluten, the sourdough process, the bugs in the sourdough making, eat up the gluten and render the bread literally gluten-free. So that's one way to start is with a good quality sourdough bread. Make sure there's no, uh, when you look at the ingredients, that there's nothing in there you haven't heard of before. It should be just whole wheat, salt, water, and organic starter. Sprouted grains, um, soaked grains, breads that are in the refrigerated sections are generally better because they're in the refrigerated section because if they don't get refrigerated, they go bad. And that's what bread should do. That's what food should do is go bad. So you want to be looking for those foods versus the foods that can stay on your shelf for a very, very long time. Well, let's talk about another topic then, and it's really one that we've touched on. But I think there's probably still some questions out there. There are folks that have um, heard of this concept of grain brain. They're concerned about the wheat and how it affects their mental performance. They may even say, my brain is functioning much better. My mind is clearer since I got rid of the wheat. Is whole wheat really a culprit when it comes to mental clarity? Well, the studies show that when you eat whole wheat versus refined wheat, it reduces the risk of Alzheimer's by 53 and 54% in two different studies. So the studies don't show that wheat does anything but help your mental clarity and your cognitive function down the road. There's no question about that. What the studies, and I did a great debate with Dr. David Perlmutter, author of Grain Brain. You can watch that on my website and watch us go back and forth in the science. But the reality is, is what he did was he said that wheat has a high glycemic index, which means it acts like sugar. And because it acts like sugar, and sugar does cause increase the risk of Alzheimer's, it therefore causes these brain fog issues. Well, the reality is, is that refined wheat has a high glycemic index would be problematic, but whole wheat has a low glycemic index and reverses the risk of, of, of Alzheimer's. But the why he got so much traction is because people really do feel bad when they eat wheat, and they feel brain fog. And like I said before, if your digestive system has gotten weaker or broken down, <clears throat> the gluten 
will go undigested into your small intestine, not too big to get into your blood. They'll collect and, and congest the lymphatic ducts around your belly, cause belly fat, uh, and cause you to have uh, skin rashes because there's lymph underneath your skin, and eventually not let the brain drain throughout the lymphatic system uh, these three pounds of chemicals that are supposed to drain every year while you sleep at night, and that lymph congestion can actually back up into your brain chemistry and cause brain fogging kind of effects, thus the brain grain effect, he calls it. I actually call it a brain drain effect because it's the lymphatic drains that are clogged because of weak digestion, and that's fixable. And one more thing, mm -hmm. because your digestive strength is linked directly to your ability to detoxify, if we don't fix the digestive system, we just take wheat or grains or nuts or seeds out of our diet or beans out of our diet because we can't digest them, that puts us at risk for the exposure to the toxic chemicals in our environment to the tune of 4 billion pounds of toxic chemicals dumped in the American environment every single year. Wow. There's mercury on every organic vegetable. We have to digest well to detoxify well. Well, let's come back to this point then that you keep bringing us to, John, and that is this point about lymphatic health. Is there something people can do to improve the lymphatics? I know we touched, you know, mentioned turmeric and some of its uh, effect in that regard, but are there other specific things a person can do to improve those uh, lymph channels, in the, especially in the digestive region? I thought you'd never ask. Yes, of course, there's some amazing foods that are so good for your lymphatic system, and they're everything that makes your skin die, like it's something that traditional culture would use to dye their clothes or it would dye their skin, like berries or cherries or pomegranates or uh, cranberries. Uh, red root is a traditional American Indian herb uh, that is a, a herb that is a powerful lymphatic mover. So that's how you know that if anything is good for your lymph, it has these dyes in it, like pomegranates are in the fall and cranberries in the fall, berries and cherries in the spring and, and summer. So these are the things you can eat more of in your diet to get those lymph-moving benefits. Plus, of course, leafy greens, again, are very alkaline, and they help your lymph. And hydration, making sure you're getting plenty of water, and finally, movement, exercise. Our bodies were designed to move. And if mm. we sit around and we don't move, the muscles, if they don't contract, they don't pump the lymph. Your lymph is not connected to your heart. It has to move. Your muscles have to contract uh, to move, except the little micro lymphs in your brain, they drain while you sleep. So if you don't move during the day and the lymphs get congested during the day, those big lymphs will congest your little microscopic brain lymphs. And now you have brain fog issues and uh, in your central nervous system uh, and your brain chemistry because the whole lymphatic system has become somewhat boggy. That brings up a fascinating topic. We've spoken about exercise a number of times and how it interfaces with all this. So, I mean, great point about the importance of moving those large muscle groups like the legs to get the blood flow through the, uh, the veins as well as the lymphatics, getting it to return to the heart. But the question is then about the gut. Um, a lot of the research, especially with excessive exercise, seems to suggest we shut down blood flow to the internal organs when we really push it. Is too much exercise harmful for those small lymphatics? I don't know the answer. I just uh, am raising the question. No, you're so right. And, you know, I, I didn't realize this when I wrote my first book, Body, Mind, and Sport. We talked about nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. And the research showed that when you breathe through your nose, it's a calming effect. It's a parasympathetic effect. It's a, it's a reduction of the fight-or-flight response when you exercise. 
And when you breathe through your mouth, huff and puff, like most people do when they're really pushing really hard, that triggers a fight-or-flight response. And mm. that fight-or-flight response is a break-your-body-down-to-build-yourself-up effect. And over time, it can, be, it can be overwhelmingly damaging, which is why a lot of science shows that you need to know how much exercise is good and how much more is harmful. And if you breathe through your nose, and when you start to have to open your mouth a little bit, you're going a little bit too hard, you can back mm. off. So you can tell with how you breathe whether you're actually exercising to the point that's actually nothing but good for you or maybe a little bit too much. That is really interesting. I mean, I've heard of things like the talk test, but I never heard of the nose breathing test. Right. Talk test is great, except you have to talk, which means you have to open your mouth, which, which <laughs> makes you breathe in the upper chest. You want to breathe deeply because in the lower lobes of your lungs, there's a predominance of parasympathetic, calm, rebuild, digest better receptors. So when you breathe, and 80% of the blood is down there, so when you breathe down there, you exchange waste better, you activate a calm neurology better, more efficiently when you see a bear in the woods, you don't take a big long nose breath, you go, <gasps> take a big upper chest gasping breath that triggers upper, upper chest receptors mm -hmm. to get you up a tree, save your life. That's what the upper chest is doing. And that's why we breathe that way. But most of us have created uh, 26,000 little emergency mouth breaths a day that we take, telling the body, yep, life's an emergency. Store fat, crave sugar, and continue to live this stressful way we live. Well, you know, I wish you and I had had this discussion a couple years ago before we uh, started working on our book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. We've got a whole section on the importance of deep breathing and how that lowers blood pressure. But I didn't have that insight about breathing through the nose. So if we if we come out with a revised version, we got to include that, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. You can, and I, I, I posted those studies on my website at lifespot.com. You can just type in nose breathing on my website, and you'll get all that research, all that information, all the techniques of how to actually do that. Tremendous resources. Well, you know, believe it or not, John, it seems to happen every time I do a show. And all of a sudden, we're uh, realizing that neither you or I are the boss, but it's something called a clock. And uh, our time is just rapidly slipping away. Before we've got to say goodbye, I know there's a few loose ends. Help us to tie those off just in your mind before we close the show. Well, I think for, for most people, realize that taking foods out of the diet may be the first step to make you feel better, and I support that. But we're not done there. We have to fix the problem, and that's where we have to identify what really went wrong. Get the processed foods out of your diet. Try to get rid of the pesticides out of your diet as well. And then in my book, Eat Wheat, and on my articles at Lifespot.com, I help you and guide you to fix and troubleshoot your digestive system and fix it and rebuild it with natural herbs and foods so you can get the digestive and detox strength that we're designed to have. Boy, John, tremendous stuff. You've opened my mind to a number of things. I'll be honest with you, some of it's new. i got to check it out. You do the same. The place to do it, again, give us that website, John. Yeah, it's LifeSpa, L-I-F-E-S-P-A dot com. LifeSpa.com, the book, Eat Wheat, the author, John Duyard. Duyard is spelled D-O-U-I-L-L-A-R-D. John Duyard, the author of Eat Wheat and uh, the proprietor of LifeSpa.com. Well, we've got to run. Hopefully today's show on American Indian Living has opened your eyes to, again, appreciate more of the wisdom of the elders, the traditional wisdom throughout Indian country and beyond. Hopefully today's show, as always, helps you have better health, helps you to share it with others. And, as always, I close saying I'm Dr. DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One the Native American Radio Network.